Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have another special guest, Alex, who is going to talk to us about the upbringing that he experienced and how both the upbringing and his generational traumas and pains have impacted him to this day, as well as on the other hand, his healing journey alongside those. Hi, Alex. Hey, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being a guest. And I I haven't had too many guests that want to talk about more the the generational traumas. So I really appreciate that this is kind of the angle that you're going because it's it's trauma is often deep rooted and oftentimes it's only talked about surface level and not all -hmm. of the generations. So I really do appreciate you bringing forth this this topic. Yeah, I think it's such an important topic and I feel like everyone has generational trauma whether they realize it or not Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's so just so crazy even like hearing about my my friends families and their upbringing it's um I can definitely connect the dots um between like who their families are and who they are so um yeah it's super interesting when I meet someone I I kind of know like almost how their upbringing was like did your parents love you did they like compare you like what did they value it, so it's super interesting and so let's jump into your experience because yeah it sounds like you have quite a bit of generational trauma to kind of dig into yeah yeah um definitely a lot of pain um so i i grew up with um Vietnamese immigrant parents so they immigrated here from Vietnam around the 1980s um and so I'll, I'll kind of share a bit about how my upbringing was and how I, how I felt so I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell it from my perspective because I don't want to like cast blame or judgment on anyone um so when I grew up I had I think my parents did the best they could. Um, but I definitely sense that there was a lot of division between my parents. So my, um, I, I don't know what the true story is because they, they won't ever tell me, but uh, I just sense that my parents were a little distant. They um, weren't physically there, like literally in the house. So maybe some infidelity, who knows, really don't know. Um, but as a kid, you you often wonder, oh, where's where's mom? Where's dad? Or why why is dad still working? So those were the some of the questions I wondered. Um, so just to start off, like when I was about five or six, my parents it, it just felt like they were a little distant, um, and it they kind of still are in in some ways. It just looks and is expressed in different ways in different seasons. Um, so I, I felt like I didn't have a great foundation to start with growing up. Um, but growing up, I, if any of your, uh, listeners are, are Asian of Asian descent, uh, like I am, there was a lot of, uh, pressure to succeed. There was a high value for achievement and I was constantly compared to with, uh, my peers, um, my friends, my cousins, um, and my, my parents, especially, well, I, I won't say which parent, but one of my parents would just say pretty condescending things in Vietnamese, like, uh, how could you 
think this way or don't shouldn't you know this by now um or so and so is doing well in music or sports like why can't you be that way um and i remember even specifically one of my parents when uh, i was riding in the car with them um they looked over me and and just asked what what skills do you have and i was like nine years old so as a nine-year-old hearing that question it just it's just it how i internalized it was oh i i guess i don't really have any value or any talents that other people value or or looks successful um in in the like in culture's eyes um so you know i was very demoralized um so fast forward into teenage years and even like early 20s i'm i'm 31 now but um i i would say those that decade of teenage years and and early 20s was definitely characterized by a lot of uh, low self esteem a lot of me comparing myself to others a lot of shame uh, i would say i think shame would be the big theme uh, of that decade um and just a lot of insecurity um anxiety as well my my parents were pretty anxious about money um as well and so even when i look at all of that and i look at past generations i actually did ask my dad um like what um I asked my dad specifically because I actually don't know a lot about his upbringing and he wouldn't share so much. But um, just for confidentiality purposes, I let's just say he had a very rough upbringing um, and it, it totally makes sense. Um, even analyzing my parents, uh, my mom's side of things, she definitely had a hard time, too. And I can see even thematically her relationship with her mom at the time, my grandmother who now passed away um there was a lot of shame there was a lot of like anxiety there was a lot of hoarding financially um you name it a lot of comparison as well so as i was growing up i also noticed that as well so it's definitely very it's it, it it's always there it's just expressed differently in different generations um and so my healing journey actually began in um, when I was about 23 or 24 and that's where I really, um, learned, like I, I, I learned more about faith. Um, so I'm, I'm Christian. Um, so I definitely learned more about that and how that like has brought so much foundation and importance to my life. I'm also invested in a life coach as well. Um, and so I've been seeing this life coach for the plot for the past almost 10 years, just on and off some seasons more frequent than another, but I've just been on a completely uh, transformational healing journey since then. So I know I said a lot. Um, where would you like to take this Jacqueline? So I'm going to take a couple steps back and just first, even thank you for being a male figure talking about, you know, not feeling valued or being enough or doing enough. Um, and just overall struggling because I know, and I'm sure you can probably uh, speak more to this, but for males, I think across the board, regardless of the, the country or the age or anything, I think men don't feel they have a platform to stand on in order to kind of have these conversations. Mm. And so I wanted to thank you first for just that. And then also thank yeah. you for, for sharing your experience because 
I always say it's never easy to share your struggle, even if you're on the other side of it. Yeah. And the other kind of big part that came up for me was the stereotypes that I guess society and specific cultures or areas have about Asians, like Asian descents. And so Mm -hmm. do you feel like some of those stereotypes partnered into why you felt the way you felt growing up? Yeah. Yeah. A bit. Um, I want to touch on what you said about men (laughs) because it's, it's, I can't speak on all men in the world, but um, where I live and just my circles, I definitely think that men don't talk about their feelings and emotions all that much. They're more taught to fix things, to push through, to be strong. Mm -hmm. Um, And coupled with that, growing up Asian American, it's like 2x that (laughs) because my my parents didn't really teach emotional health or even being honest with your emotions it was it was never like hey alex how are you feeling or like how's your heart or even like i love you or i'm proud of you they like almost never say that but when they do it's like whoa (laughs) what's 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 going on in the world (laughs) so it's it's just super revolutionary when i hear that um but yeah, I think there was definitely some stereotypes that did play in. Um, and stereotypes are stereotypes because I think in some ways they are true. Um, like an example is um, there's like this unspoken stereotype that uh, Asian men are uh, passive. So we have a, a saying called PAM, uh, P-A-M, passive Asian male. That's what it stands for. Um, and so I... I kind of, I kind of found that true for myself that I was very passive um, growing up, but now I am learning to channel my voice and have a say in things. Um, and it, it, it's played out in work. It's played out in with, with friendships um, where I was afraid to confront people. Um, I was afraid to have difficult conversations at work, I just, I just, I didn't default to speaking out or giving my opinion. I just more sat back and, and listen. Um, and so I, I work in tech in Silicon Valley. And so collaboration is huge, but I just struggled really hard to find my voice. Or even if I did find my voice, just having the courage to do that. So I think definitely, uh, I think Asian stereotype, yeah, I, I, I definitely have seen glimpses of that in my life i think the i've never actually heard pam before but i think the the big stereotype that i hear up in canada at least is that those of asian descent male or female or non-binary even are you know they're the science ones they're the math ones they're the ones that are really intelligent ones Mm. that always get you know straight A's and so I feel like that alone puts a lot of pressure on somebody Mm. to try to live up to that standard whether it's true or not Mm. yeah you know um that is uh definitely very true I uh, there there is a high value in Asian culture especially for high achievement um there's a big focus on uh being good at math and, and science and being an engineer doctor or lawyer or some prestigious 
um, high paying career. Um, so I definitely felt that uh, for sure. Um, so that coupled with comparing me to others just brought so much pain and, and trauma. And I know you said that your parents or parent frequently compared you in a lot of ways. Do you think that was them trying to make you grow up in a way that they wanted to but never were able to experience? Or do you think that was also in turn part of the stereotypes? No, I I feel like it's definitely them. Um, Them projecting their insecurity on me by comparing um in asian circles it's actually very common for parents to compare their kids to others um (laughs) there's even like very popular youtube channels and and tiktoks and instagrammers simply about this um and it's it's funny but it's true like one parent could be like oh my my um my son went to Harvard and he's in medical school or another person parent might say, Oh, my daughter is an engineer at Google. You know, it's like kind of one upping each other. Um, But it's funny, but it's also sad, but it's true. Um, And so I feel like, I don't know. I think I need to slice and dice this a bit more, but Definitely, I see this trend in immigrant families. They're coming to the United States. Um, they don't. They generally don't have much to start with, but they want to live vicariously through us, and they want to have something that's proud. They're they're proud of, which is their kids, and they themselves aren't really secure in themselves, so they just project them um, onto their kids. Uh, for me, I'm an only child, so. I'm pretty much, <laughs> in a way, my parents' uh, retirement plan. Um, I mean, they obviously have, have like a 401k and all of that stuff. But, you know, it, it's kind of unspoken. And is that kind of traditional in, like, within your family? Or is that just kind of the way it goes, being the children being the retirement plan? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I feel, yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's. I, I feel like it's it's both. Um, for for us, we grew up here and we have a lot uh, more opportunities. Um, just ob- objectively speaking, and we know English uh, better than they do, so our opportunities are 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 wide, and we have more uh, income. But I think there's also something unspoken um, where I think parents almost expect their kids to pay them back for raising them. Um, And it's very prevalent in the culture I grew up in. For example, um, we're we're almost keeping score, which is not very healthy. Um, A silly example is... Um, every year around Lunar New Year, where we exchange red envelopes with money, where the elder eldest people give their kid the kids um, money in a red envelope, and if if say my uncle gives me a red envelope with a certain amount of money, my parents would often ask, "Oh, how much do they give?" And it's not because they're greedy or anything like that, but 
they need to give back the other family equal or or more money. So there there's this keeping score almost. So when it comes to um, family upbringing, it's because they raise us up, they expect us to take care of them as well, which is uh, I, I can definitely see that from their perspective, like they invested so much time and energy and money into their kids. So um, it makes sense that they expect, but it's hard to, it, it, it's just a lot of pressure <laughs> um, when you also like growing up, I, I don't have kids right now, but when, when I do and I, I need to take care of my wife and, and kids as well. So it is a lot of pressure. Do you see any, this is probably going to be a loaded question, but do you see any potential or have any insight as to how that might end up changing within kind of your culture, your family, how that pressure is always there, that comparison is always there? Or do you think it's going to kind of end with you once you become a father? Yeah, yeah. My my wife and I have talked about this Um and we definitely feel a strong calling to end this generational pattern, um, so to speak. Like, it stops with us. Like, there's going to be no more shame-based culture. There's no mo- no more comparison. It will be just loving people, loving our kids, loving people just the way that they are um, without a performance mentality instead of I'll love you and be proud of you if you achieve X or if your life looks a certain way. Instead of that, it's more, oh, I love you just because you're my son or I love you unconditionally because you're my daughter and you don't need to do anything to um, you don't need to do anything to to prove yourself. You're loved just as the way that you are. So that's that's me and my wife's. philosophy uh on life right now so we definitely want to break this generational pattern or else it's gonna it's gonna be passed down to our children do you think there's some type of almost like subconscious level where those patterns might still seep out in your parenting styles when that time comes and even though you're being intentional to not continue those patterns do you think they might at times still be conveyed subconsciously oh yeah definitely i i see that happening with uh, my wife (laughs) um i see how my parents grew up and treated each other treated me and i portray the same things to my wife um um won't get into the details of it but it's it's definitely very prevalent and so that's why uh, I need coaching. I need therapy as well because I need to unroot some of those belief systems that I've created for myself just watching my parents. And again, it's all generational. We uh, like I grow up, I learn these things from my parents um, through no fault of my own. Uh, I'm like a kid. Uh, so I take everything as truth. Uh, right like this is how the world operates this is how i should behave this is how i protect myself this is how i love others so i you learn that generationally uh, as well um but it, it it does creep in so there needs to be a lot of unrooting and there needs to be a lot of work that needs to be done on, on my end to really 
change the trajectory of what has come before me in in the past generations do you think that you're at that point where you've done the amount of work or do you think that there still needs to be work done before parenting begins i i feel like there's always gonna be work done we're not perfect at all but i will say that i've come a long way um funny story um so i was visiting my my parents in um southern california um we we live in northern california and my wife and i were there and my wife found a journal that i had in high school and she looked through it and i let's just say i was a completely different person in high school i was super negative all the time like in my journal i was literally writing down oh i hate this person or this person annoys me or why why is my life like this it's it's so dark it's so depression de- depressing um but now in my journal it's a bit more hopeful it's a bit more faith-filled um and it's not victim mentality um which is what i had growing up and so i think i'm always gonna be on a journey but i've changed a lot (laughs) um because i invested time i invested money to really help unroot those belief systems and now you mentioned that faith was very important and very valuable to you. And you also mentioned that you utilize and still do a life coach. Have you done mm-hmm. any other kind of healing modalities or anything along those lines in partnership with faith and the life coach? Uh, your he- healing modalities? Like Can other, like that? other ones. So have you done kind of traditional therapy or have you done Uh, mindfulness practices or journaling would be one that you've mentioned but have you done any other types of healing in partnership with using the life coach and the the value of faith or were those kind of the big pieces that started your healing journey yeah um it's interesting I, i don't use the word healing modality but now that you're bringing up those examples i've definitely used a few of them but I would say the biggest the biggest impactor for me, I don't know, know if that's even a word, but the, the, the one that made the biggest impact is definitely faith and, and combined with coaching. And my life coach is a, a Christian life coach. So there's definitely, um, yeah, there's definitely a component of it. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like with faith, um, I, I'm not going to get like preachy or anything, but uh, for me, what stuck stuck out was I always believed there was a God, but I wasn't really sure until I went down the path of exploring more. Like, why are there like so many different religions? And um, is there even a God? Like, you can't even see. And so I, I just landed on um, my Christian faith because it just made sense to me. It, it, it just resonated. It made sense logically and it made sense in my heart. Um, and so the crux of the Christian faith is that um, God loves you unconditionally. And I always thought God would only love me if I do good things or I will only get to heaven if I do good things, which is definitely um, like a byproduct of faith. But what I learned was that, wow, God 
forgives me, he loves me, and I can extend that love and forgiveness to others. And so because I grew up in a very performance-based um, culture and family, and there was not there was a lot of bitterness, I just sensed that, wow, this God has so much love and forgiveness that I can extend it to others and I can learn to forgive others. And so um, I forgot what your original question was, but uh, I want to say that um, regarding like a healing modality, and I'm not even sure if this is <laughs> classified as one, but one exercise that I did um, for anyone who has struggled with difficult relationships or relationships that have hurt you, which I feel like it's everyone. Um, everyone has some like people who have hurt them in some time in their life. I, I really had to learn how to forgive my parents um, because I, 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 there was just a lot of hurt and there was just a lot of miscommunication. And one thing I did that my life coach challenged me to do was she told me to write a letter of forgiveness to both of my parents and read it to them. And this is not to cast blame or judgment on them or just like retaliation, but it's more of telling them, I, I really felt X when you put pressure on me, or I, I didn't feel good enough when you um, did X, Y, and Z at this time. And I really just want to say, I forgive you. I know mom and dad, you're immigrant parents, and you were trying to figure out America. But I want to say that I'm proud of you. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be your your son, um, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so when I was reading this, I was just crying. And I felt like there was so much burden that was lifted. And it was super, super healing. They cried too. And so it really healed our relationship, it cleared up miscommunication. And it brought me on another level of healing, like never before. It was just so crazy that I could even extend that kind of forgiveness to, to parents who hurt me unintentionally, but they, it was still hurtful. I feel like that takes a lot of growth or I don't even know what the word would be, but it takes a lot for somebody to be able to confront those that have hurt them in whatever way. And, mm -hmm. you know, speak the truth and read that letter. Like to me right now in my healing journey, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my, um, <laughs> I actually made, not made, but I highly encourage one of my own clients to write that letter of forgiveness for a, a past relationship that was just really being a burden on her. And she literally said that, wow, I think in her own words, she said, I finally feel like I'm healing and growing, which is like, wow, that's so amazing. Like decades of pain, just being resolved like that. So I think there is definitely power in forgiveness. And when you hold on to bitterness for so long, it really rots your bones. It, it rots your body and holding on to it does no good to you. But many people store that in their bodies, in their minds, in their hearts for such a long time. And they don't know how to manage it or process it. I think there's also a part too where at least from my experience being in Canada and being a white female, I feel like there's a lot of unspoken 
or even sometimes spoken conversations from society and our, our, our culture that tells us, you know, it's, you're, you're in a hustle culture. You're in a, you know, you need to do this, 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 and this every day. And you don't have time to be anything but happy, avoid all of those feelings, push all those feelings away. Don't talk about those feelings. And I think that we kind of get used to having that trauma stored in our body and feeling, you know, the fast heart rate all the time or the, Mm -hmm. the sweatiness all the time or whatever it is that we feel physically and sometimes mentally. So I feel like it's almost normalized to us that it would be weird to not feel those physical sensations of the trauma in our body until we know the other side, like your client mentioned where she, she did that experience or that exercise too and felt what it felt like to not have that in her body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And it, it's almost like you're, you, you don't know what, what else is there because you've been so conditioned to operate in a certain way. Like you're, you've been conditioned to operate in like say hustle, like here in Silicon Valley, I can, definitely see it where people are just like like putting value a high value in career and money they're working a lot they're thinking about it a lot and to them it's like it's normal i mean i appreciate their i appreciate and admire the the hustle and the hard work but a lot of them aren't really tapped into their emotional health or mental health or what they need but it's just like push 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 Mm -hmm. um so you can almost get numb to that and yeah you just don't know what what else is there like you don't know that you can graduate to a different level where you can also hustle yeah but in a healthy way um and so yeah i think there's also that that kind of piece just what you mentioned where where you're living right now there's that hustle culture and you see it in the people i think there are also maybe subconsciously, but maybe at a conscious level too, that there's the the coping mechanism of I'm going to keep working. The more I work, the more I'm distracted, the more I hustle, the less I have to think about all the painful things or all the, the past things or the past traumas or how I really feel. So I think, I think that also though comes from society and telling us, you know, there's these bad emotions and you don't want to feel these bad emotions. So just, do whatever you can to not feel them and not bring them up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's society and it's also generational as well. Um, when I was going through my own healing journey, I, uh, I, I admit I, I am a bit of a hustler and I, I do work hard. <laughs> um, but in a, in a more healthy way, back then, I was just working hard. And I found this out later, but I was working hard because I subconsciously wanted to get the approval of my parents mm-hmm. because they never, I mean, in my way or in my perception, it, it didn't feel like they approved of me or were really proud of me because it, it was never spoken about. They never, they rarely said, I love you or I'm proud of you unless I achieve something. So definitely culture plus generational upbringing of trying to please my parents subconsciously super interesting i think 
there's so many conversations that can be had about how generational trauma impacts us but I wanted to if you're comfortable with it Alex to kind of dig deeper into the generational traumas of your parents not necessarily you know what happened to them but do you think because they're also very rooted in in their culture and also as immigrants do you think that they would ever be open to conversations about generational trauma and kind of the effects that that's had on you I know you did that letter exercise and that's phenomenal but do you think they would ever dig deeper or do you think that was as deep as they got <laughs> oh uh my my wife and I talk about this a lot um so I am hopeful they want to explore this more but realistically I don't think so and that's because in their generation, in their culture, emotional and mental health was, there there was no, there was even no verbiage for that. They, I don't think they've ever seen therapy or counseling or anything similar to that. And I don't think they believe it. I think there's a perception that, oh, I, I can just, well, give, give it some time and I'll get through this, or I can just talk to a friend. Um, and so, and I don't want to pay money just to talk to someone. So, it, you know, it, you know, perception, right? Um, but for them, because they grew up in such hardship, like physical hardship, I think they just learned to push through, be strong, and don't accept help. And so I, I am hopeful for my parents that they'll, they'll come to a healthier place um, individually and also in their marriage. But uh, with the trajectory that it's going... Uh, I don't think they're super open to it. Are they of the age or kind of generation where they will talk about things though with loved ones or not even that? I know for, for me personally, my mom's side of the family, my grandmother, I'm very, very close with her and she is very open about how she feels and Hmm. And kind of the things that have been going on. And then on the other hand, my dad's side, the the older generations in my dad's side are definitely uh, not not open to talking about it at all. They'll they'd rather drink it away or smoke it away or hmm. whatever it is. So are they of that age where they even talk about it with others, non paid loved ones, or they? Just like what you said, they suck it up and just deal with it and don't really talk at all. Yeah, they just suck it up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never seen either of my parents have open-hearted, um, vulnerable conversations with people. Um, and even if they do, it's 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 sad to say, but it's hard to imagine them just because they've built such a wall and i think in in asian culture um can't speak on behalf of all asian people of asian descent but um for me definitely a shame-based culture that if you show weakness or if you show some sort of vulnerability then there's there's just shame and no one wants to feel shame so i think for them their belief system is i can't i can't show my weakness to people even my loved ones 
because they'll either judge me or they'll shame me. Um, a lot of it is not true, actually. I think my family is actually a very loving family and we care for people a lot, but where we they're just not trained to have these types of open conversations about really anything below the surface. It's mainly about external things like work, career, house, uh, the economy, you know, like very external things. And yeah, but I will say that we're getting a little deeper <laughs> because I've initiated more of these how are you feeling conversations. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm initiating. They're a little bit more open to it, but it, it's going to take a while. Do you think that, I mean, you kind of already said this on a surface level, but do you think that maybe specifically for your parents, they might be more open to these conversations as they continue to watch your transformational journey from kind of the teen early 20s to who you are now? Wow, that's a great question. And I guess maybe extend that question into maybe your friend circle as well, like if they're of also Asian descent. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have a lot of friends who are Asian. Um, with my parents, they, they never say what they're thinking so i i have no idea i i am only reading minds um even if i ask them a very direct question they'll they will they'll answer it uh, like in a roundabout way so i i don't know um but i i see that there is a change a little bit um like i've seen my dad cry and my mom too so it, it's definitely there. Uh, I'm not sure how much of an impact I play into it because I live pretty far from them. Um, but maybe I hope to inspire them. Uh, in terms of my friend circle, yeah, a lot of them are of Asian descent. And I think in my generation, I'm a, I'm a millennial, so I'm, I'm 31. Um, and I think there is definitely more of an openness to talking about this stuff emotional mental spiritual health um yeah it's it's definitely there and i think there's a need for it but i still feel just from my observation that there are still walls and people aren't willing to invest in themselves to get healing it, there's more of a, a leaning towards push, 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 mm -hmm. be strong versus I need help or I want to talk this out. So that, that's kind of what I'm noticing. But I, I'm pretty hopeful for um, my generation. And my, my goal is actually really to de demystify emotional and mental health um, for Asians. That's one of my goals um, because it's it's just... I don't know. It's just not talked about a lot. It, there's it's taboo to talk about, and there's just the culture of just being strong and going like push, push, push. And that's kind of across most Asian cultures, then, for the most part, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I I would I would say that from my observation. Uh, obviously, there are outliers with with everyone, um, and. 
but because there's such a strong culture of performance and shame um they never really use those words but it is what it is like it is performance it is shame um yeah it's just very prevalent there and i know you just mentioned your goal is to kind of make it more talked about and more known in Mm -hmm. in kind of the asian culture how do you plan to go about that or like what are your thoughts on on changing that yeah so one tactical thing i'm doing right now is just being uh, I'm, i'm just sharing my voice more and posting on social media more i think where so let me take a step back people don't think they need help because they've almost numbed it. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to just posting on social media, for example, people want to relate to their surface pain. So let's, let's say an example. Um, uh, for example, I am a tech worker. I work like 50, 60 hours a week, and I'm a pretty high achiever but I feel pretty stressed and anxious about my career or my finances. That is surface level. Um, So my goal is to connect with that surface level of, I feel stressed, I feel anxious, and really educate people on what's really going on. Like, this is why you, you could be feeling stressed. This is why you could be feeling anxious. And connect that with like the root issues with generational pain, generational trauma. Um, And so, yeah, to answer your question, it's really just meeting people where they are um, and using that as a path to educate them on why they're feeling a certain way. And now I think you already kind of alluded, Alex, that you are a life coach now as well. Mm -hmm. Do you primarily focus on your clientele being of Asian culture or are you open to all? Yeah, I'm, I'm open to all. I've, I've coached uh, a breadth of, of um, ethnicities and they don't need to be Christian either. I was just inquiring, I guess, more so with that being your big goal, if you were more focused on the Asian culture to kind of hone into that and, and work on those patterns? Or if you were, it, it, it kind of sounds like you're working on those patterns kind of globally with all cultures and ethnicities. Yeah, I, I would say right now, um, I mean, my business strategy could pivot. Um, we just hired a business coach, me and my wife. So it could definitely pivot. But as of right now, as we speak, um, my target is Asians just because I'm Asian and I know what it's like uh, with all the struggles, but I'm not open. I'm not closed off to helping people who really need to find healing and wholeness. And how do you work to achieve healing and wholeness with your clients? Is there, is there certain Mm. kind of tips or tactics that you do, or is it very individual centered? Yeah, it's so I meet with people one on one at the bottom at, at the foundational level. It's really creating that safe space for people to be open, be honest, be vulnerable, because I feel like 
there just aren't those spaces. It's uh, unfortunately very rare. Mm -hmm. So my ultimate goal is really to create that safe space where they can process because I believe that if you're safe, that's where you can get healed. And that's where you can find wholeness as well. Um, once they're in that safe space where they can literally say whatever's on their heart, whatever's on their mind, I ask a lot of questions. I'm not there to shame them, to judge them, to even fix them. But I'm there to ask questions and almost be curious and help them see things from a different perspective. And once we identify what they're feeling, what they're going through, then it's really getting to the root cause. And that's through a lot of questions, but it's also healing their, I don't know if you know the word, the term, but inner child, uh, so to speak, where inside of them as an adult, there's an inner child that's just hurting from a past pain, from something that's unresolved. And my goal is really to get healing into that inner child through meeting them with unconditional love, to helping them see the truth behind a, a past pain that they have. And from there, that Im impacts their adult life as well. Um, kind of adding on to that, a lot of people walk around in their adult bodies, but they're operating in their inner child operating system. So they grew up, like you physically grew up, but your mind and your heart is still operating as a hurt, inner child in there that hasn't been addressed that hasn't been healed um and so my goal is really to help resolve that kind of the burning question for you alex what's the difference i mean aside from maybe educational and letters behind the name what's the difference between a life coach and a therapist or a counselor that also does similar work yeah is I... there a difference <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, based on my research and what other people have said, uh, well, they're in therapy, it's pretty regulated. Um, but in life coaching, it's not. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but from my understanding, in therapy, you're not allowed to give advice. You can correct me if I'm wrong here. But that's just what I heard from my mentor. Um like legally, you're not supposed to give advice or tell people what to do. Um, and I believe healing is more of heal, like talking more about the past. Um, for me, as a life coach, I am more, I'm a bit more unconventional where I do both methods of healing from the past, but also helping clients set goals and get them the outcomes that they want. So when they meet with, with me, generally, it's to heal from something, but it's also assigning them some homework, some um, next steps to really get them towards their goal. So I, I do kind of a both both approach, healing and also taking steps forward. And when you mentioned that there's that that therapy or counselors can't give advice, I honestly don't know. That's why I was asking you. <laughs> Oh, I, I really okay. don't know the difference between them. Yeah, yeah. Aside um, from, like I said, I know the the letters behind the name and the schooling and stuff is different, but in yeah, in yeah. practice, it sounds very similar for the most part. Yeah, it on the outside it definitely looks the same, but it's it's not. Um, yeah, 
yeah that so that's what i learned uh maybe your listeners have a different opinion um but that's that's why i know and i i enjoy that flexibility and freedom too because i feel like people need like in, like in coaching the client is the hero so when i'm asking questions it's really for them to come up with their own answers and solutions but at the same time i know people also need a little bit of leadership as well and leadership as as in like they want to be led they want to be taken to a place um and so i i do i ha i love i love that flexibility to have both because i want to help them heal but i also want to give some leadership and some guidance and even some advice from what i hear are, are you ready for kind of my final burning question for you <laughs> yes so I know you just mentioned that you work in tech and you work 50 to 60 hour weeks. Plus you also, in our previous conversations, you mentioned you're also a podcast host and you're a life coach and you're married. How do you take care of your mental health while you're 100% in this hustle culture and doing all the things all the time? What do you do for your own mental health to ensure that you're in a good space? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I will say 50 to 60 hours is not um, is not normal. Some some weeks are like that, but it's definitely not normal. So I want to clarify that. But for me, um, I, I do have a lot of things going on, but I have a f only a few areas that I'm focused on. Um, number one is my marriage uh, to my job, my, my, my tech job, and then coaching as well. It's I don't like to say the word side hustle because the word hustle just stresses me out, but it is a main hustle with side income. Um, so how I really take care of myself, um, just very tactically speaking, I eat pretty healthy. Um, so I like 95% of the week, I eat pretty cleanly. I take supplements like omega-3s, multivitamins. Uh, this is not a prescription, by the way. This is just what I take. Um, so I, I take care of my body pretty well. I try to sleep um, deeply and as many hours as I can. Um, and I do things that I enjoy. Um, so like, for example, this morning, I did something I enjoyed and I played pickleball with my friend. Um, I have that flexibility in my, my tech job to do that. And so I really just pay attention to my heart and ask it what it needs. And I just carve out space to do things I enjoy and give me life. Um, and also as best as I can in the morning, I don't, I try not to check my phone or go on my laptop. But uh, for me, like I said, my faith is pretty important. So I take the morning to really pray, to read the Bible, to communicate with God, um, all that stuff. And it really just sets the tone for my days. And I have, I have daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, um, annual rhythms with me, with my wife. And so I, I just like to keep things in rhythm. And, and when you mean rhythm, what do you exactly mean by weekly and daily and, and monthly rhythms? So, um, for, so rhythms are like, you know, like, um, I guess routines, <laughs> you would, uh, th that's the best way to describe it. 
Um, and so I have a deeply, uh, a, a daily rhythm of like praying and reading the Bible, um, daily connect time with my wife, daily walks as well, daily, almost daily workouts, um, weekly. Um, a weekly rhythm is weekly date nights with my wife. That's for us to connect, to just talk about what's on our hearts and really to strengthen our marriage. Um, monthly, monthly getaways um, with me and my wife. And then annually is something like a, like an annual longer vacation with my wife, um, usually to a place we really haven't been to before or just like a vacation um, where we just kind of splurge a little bit. Um, and so I just like to build in those rhythms so I don't get out of rhythm because the default is just to work, work, work and not really take care of myself and I, I can go off the rails. But I like to have these rhythms and routines to really keep myself in check. I think I was I was kind of guessing that it was routine, but I didn't want to guess and be totally off the off the charts for what I was assuming it meant. But I think that's, those are incredible and realistic tactics and techniques that you use to support your mental health. And it sounds like it also in turn supports your marriage, but also it sounds like it also uh, impacts and improves and works on your wife's mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For, uh, all the married listeners, um, <laughs> it is so important to keep your marriage strong. I think like if, if my wife was not feeling great or we had an argument, it just ruins everything else. Like everything else just, I don't feel like working. I don't feel like working out. Um, everything's just <laughs> in chaos almost. So definitely that's why my marriage is one of my top priorities. And typically Alex, I'll, I will ask for, for words of wisdom or encouragement or support, but I think you gave so many different pieces of that throughout the conversation. So mm -hmm. just thank you for that, especially those last handful of realistic uh, tactics and all the, the routines. I think I'm going to steal that idea and give you a trademark for that and say that you coined <laughs> it, but I'm going to take that. But I call you from someone else. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so. Perfect. <laughs> Is there yeah. anywhere that listeners and myself can continue to follow your, your life coach journey, your podcast journey, and just your healing journey? Yeah, you can follow me on my Instagram and TikTok. They have the same handles, same content. It's at reach Alex Tran. Alex Tran is my full name. Reach like reach me if you want to get in contact with me kind of like that um Jacqueline will put that in the notes um I also have a website as well it's with the trans.com tran is my last name um so it's my joint account with my wife or a jo joint website amazing well thank you again so much for for being a guest Alex and I think I learned a lot myself from this episode, but I think you touched on two really kind of key critical areas in the mental health realm and just overall well-being that is still really not talked about. And I think the first one being the, the gender differences between conversations and, and 
the openness to talk about how one feels versus the other. And I think that deeply affects men, uh, whether some men want to say it and some don't. And I think Mm -hmm. the other topic that you really nailed on the head, I guess, so to speak, would be the generational trauma and how it continues with people, but also can end with people, I think is a a very hopeful note for both myself and also for the listeners. Yes, you nailed it. And thank you for just doing this podcast. Um, I love that it's blessing so many people and these types of things just need to be talked about. And I love how you just keep it real, authentic, vulnerable, because many people are going through a lot of struggles. So just thank you for blessing us. Thank you so much for the kind words. And to you, Alex, and to the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light. Amazing.